Hi, you're listening to the Christina in the Valley podcast. Welcome to a journey that unveils the glittering world of Southern charm, sisterhood, and secrets. I'm your host, Christina Gavin, and you've tuned in to Beneath the Magnolia, the Alabama sorority recruitment tell-all with Michaela Henson and Sammy Auer. Nestled within the heart of the Deep South, the University of Alabama's campus is more than just a place of higher education. It's a realm where tradition meets modernity and where young women from all walks of life step into a world filled with anticipation, aspirations, and a dash of competition. Behind the facade of pristine Southern manners and elegant gowns lies a process that's more than just picking sororities. It's about finding a sense of belonging, forming unbreakable bonds, and discovering who you truly are. But for all the smiles and sisterly affection, there's an untold story. One that reveals the complexity, the drama, and the mystery that shrouds sorority recruitment. Over the course of this podcast, we'll delve into the enigmatic world of Alabama sorority recruitment, exploring the -the behind-the-scenes ruses, the whispers in the shadows, and the triumphs and tribulations that shape the journey for these young women. Get ready to hear the unfiltered truth, the laughter, the tears, and the moments that defined a lifetime. Whether you're a Greek life enthusiast, just a curious observer, or someone who's about to embark on their own journey through sorority recruitment, Beneath the Magnolia promises to be your backstage pass to a world few truly understand. So sit back, relax, and get ready to join us on a roller coaster of emotions as we pull back the curtain on Alabama sorority recruitment. As always, if you love this podcast, please be sure to like and follow so you never miss an episode. Follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Christina in the Valley for some exclusive and behind the scenes content. Check out my YouTube channel to get episodes before they're even released. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome back to the Christina in the Valley podcast. I'm so excited I'm here with two of my good friends. You guys all remember Michaela from our first episode about Bama Rush, but today we have a newcomer. Sam, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Samantha Auer. In college and in high school, when Christina and I were classmates, I was called Sammy. So we can we can stick with Sammy. I am so excited about this topic. I have started seeing Bama Rush pop up on my TikTok. I know that we are going through sorority recruitment. It starts August 12th. People are starting to move in like it is happening I'm so eager to see what's going to happen this year as opposed to the last two years, especially now that the documentary has been out. So I've gotten Michaela's feedback about the documentary, but Sammy, what did you think about the documentary? Yeah, um, I apologize. I probably should have added this to my intro, but I went to the University of Alabama. I started in 2013. I graduated early in 2016, but I was a sorority member there. So I guess that adds a little bit more qualification. Initial thoughts on the documentary, like you and Michaela nailed it in your first episode. I think it's pretty widely assumed based on what I've seen on social media that most likely the university probably stepped in and, you know, didn't allow the directors or whomever to really fully get in there and get the juice and get the dirt that maybe we were expecting. But 
what I did like was it was a super powerful story um, about some serious topics. I think we were all teased a little bit by the advertisements of what it was going to be about. And we had an expectation and didn't necessarily meet those expectations for some of us. But uh, it told a really compelling story. For me personally, it didn't quite hit home for what I was expecting, but it was powerful in other ways. I appreciated it. It's so funny because the trailer, she designed that trailer to be a catfish of what was really- We got bamboozled. We got totally (laughs) bamboozled when it came down to the actual documentary. Based on everything we were seeing, it was a lot of squealing and, and there were definitely some important topics that were covered that like pertained to the rush process. And a lot of the women who were interviewed were in my graduating class or, you know, the year before or the year after. So they did a good job, but we totally... I'm sorry, what? Got... So you're telling me that you basically are Bama Rush. You are <laughs> the documentary. I mean, I don't know. For did you know for that worse. it was going on? <laughs> sorry, not those women, the alumni. The alumni. Oh my gosh. I was like, wait, this is yeah. the, the math ain't mathin' because we're the same age. <laughs> no, I know. I know, I know. No, no, no. Sorry. The alumni, the women who were interviewed as alumni were folks who I've met. Okay. Did they ask, like, did anybody reach out to you as, like, a Bama alum in Greek life? Like, hey, do you want to be a part of this documentary? Or is it, do you think you're, like, so far removed from it now? No. I'm, I'm a small fish. I am a software saleswoman at a tech company in San Francisco. Like I wouldn't, I was, <laughs> I know I'm, I'm really proud of my accomplishments, but like never got contacted by HBO, never got contacted by anybody. Um, there are so many alumni and so many people. I think they probably hit up sorority presidents and folks who had a lot of, I guess, clout at the time. I'm super privileged to be able to like speak on this topic and to be on this podcast at all. But I was not approached for anything like that. Well, I approached you and you're here now, so we're going <laughs> to talk are. about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's hop in. So I want to know, you know, we talked about this. One of the things that the documentary does not cover is like the really juicy stuff that we wanted to know. Like, what is recruitment like at the University of Alabama? Can you please tell me what it was like for you to go through recruitment? How does it compare to the very minimal things we saw in the documentary. So I have a couple of unique experiences when we were kind of like jotting down our ideas for this episode. I was like, wow, I have my PM experience. So potential new member, what you're seeing, the folks, the little girls on TikTok who are getting ready and going to go through it. I have that experience. And then I have an experience as an active. I only recruited for one year, so I can share a little bit about that. And then I also have experience as a Sigma Rho Chi, which is a basically a rush counselor, someone who helps PMs on the outside, disaffiliates with their chapter. For those who don't know, it's like more anonymized. So they try to keep it super fair and help PMs you know, on a more anonymous basis. And it's more of like a panhellenic process than a sorority specific process. So anyways, those kind of three personas, if you will, I, I went through, which was unique and exciting. Um, as a PM, I honestly walked into recruitment with through the lens of my mom was in a sorority, my dad was in a fraternity. 
I knew like two or three girls going to Alabama. I'm from California, from the San Francisco Bay Area. So I didn't know a whole lot before I walked in besides the very general things that I would expect a lot of other PMs to already know as well. That being said, I feel like I learned pretty quickly. My roommate at the time was from Alabama. And so kind of you move in early. I would I think they're already moving in based on what I've seen on TikTok. Yeah. It's hilarious. You move in early, you like go through the whole thing. And I just had fun. I didn't know sh- I didn't, can we swear on this? Podcast? Yeah, you can like, swear. I didn't yeah. know anything. I, I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know shit about shit. So I was just like, cool. Like, honestly, thought I was going to be in the same sorority my mom was in or my friends were were in at other schools. For those reasons, like, I kind of appreciate it. Looking back, I really appreciate that I went in eyes wide open. As a Rokai, so a rush counselor, helping, or sorry, I guess in the middle there, an active, we'll go there first. Um, I had one year of recruiting experience in the house. You go through work week, which you're also probably seeing on social media. And you two probably went through as well. As advisors, we call it spirit week. (laughs) Because it is work, but we're trying to mm, spirit, spirit. (laughs) But like, I I imagine, I imagine Bama work week is like, they have the megaphones yelling at you to like get in line and shape up or like walk out the door. You're not recruiting. Like, that's just the vibe I get that it's taken very serious. When I was there we would shout this is really silly kip myth at each other keep it positive make it fun shout it like if people were having bad attitudes you kip myth the oh. fuck up and you stepped up and you did it the door okay. song like being like a five foot tall woman i was like in the door there's like photos of me like doing the whole song and all that stuff which is super fun and honestly they do try to make it really fun spirit week work week. I don't know if that's the official term to this point, but yeah. And so you're, you're working for a week and there's spirit days, like you dress up and whatnot and you learn how to recruit and what we're looking for and whatnot, and then do the dang thing. And then, you know, as a Sigma Rokai, I think that was the most enlightening experience about the whole process. It was a way for me to see, oh, like, I not only see PNMs right in front of me going through the recruitment process, but also what happens behind the scenes with voting, the emotion, the thought process for PNMs, like what they're dealing with, what they're thinking about. I, I never tried to influence anybody into any kind of decisions. It was all supportive in my experience. That was definitely where I learned the most, I think, about the Alabama rush process was as a Rokai. Were either of you so many questions. Rush, rush counselors? No, I was never an RC and Michaela. I don't think you were either. I eat, slept, breathed recruitment. Like that was my like in my veins. I was like, I am doing recruitment. Fun fact, I recruited with a concussion my junior year of college, fully concussed, and I still recruited. It was a nightmare, and I actually sent myself home early two days in a row because I could not hang, but I put in probably a solid six or seven hours both days recruiting with a concussion. Isn't it interesting how we were so invested? That's like looking back, I'm like, oh my god, if only I was spending that time doing it. It wasn't that serious. (laughs) (laughs) We were like, it's the end of the world. 
So yeah. when you were a Ro- it's Rokai, right? Because we call I call, I've always called it a recruitment counselor. Rokai. Yeah, Sigma Rokai. I think it stands for something. If folks are really want to get in the weeds, like you can read the entire 2023 Greek Chic. It's online. It's actually like a book that PNMs receive, and it goes over all of the official terms. And it goes through every single house and it, it's like a little like pamphlet. The day that you get your Greek chic as a PNM, it's like so game on. When you were a Rokai, what did you see PNMs going through? Especially with like what's in my bag and what are my outfits and like the advantages that certain members have and other members don't, depending on where you're coming from. If you could just talk a little bit about that. Such a loaded question. By the way, are I meant to ask, like, are both of you from, well, Christina, I know you're from California and you went to school in California. Michaela, where are you from again? I was born and raised here, but I went to school in Arizona. I think for like what stood out the least at first as a PM, but had probably the most impact that I didn't realize until later in the recruitment process as a PM, but fully realized as a Sigma Rho Chi was at Alabama, there was definitely a heavier weight in some houses towards or heavier, heavier preference in some houses towards in-state girls versus out-of-state girls. That was like very obvious based on who was getting invited back to those houses that I noticed as a both as a PM as and as a Rokai. As an active, it doesn't really matter because you're care you care about your chapter. That's it. So they favored in states, so Alabama, and I would say like even surrounding states, so Tennessee. Louisiana, Georgia, so on and so forth. Other houses uh, or certain houses had like more diversity in where they recruited from. So my house, for example, was a lot more out-of-state girls. In terms of the like what I noticed and actually like my PM experience and Rokai experience was similar around this topic of like what girls wore. Like I think I wore an H&M dress. I think it was like literally $15 from on my first day of recruitment. And I thought I looked so cute. I was so excited to wear that. Were you um, wearing chevron? Because I remember the chevron pattern was like <laughs> elite. The chevron with the chunky necklace chunky was just... Chunky necklace! Yes! <laughs> the power that held over all of us. Oh my gosh. But then you had to do the really thick wedges with like the strappy like front to them. Obviously. Yeah. I was not in chevron and I felt a little out of place. I will not lie to you. I did wear chevron a lot on game days. So if you didn't know at Alabama, they wear dresses and cute outfits on game days. So... I adopted the chevron and the bubble necklace for Alabama games. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of like showed up and like I went based off of this Greek chic manual thing. Like, what do you wear? Bright colors. And then, you know, it. they basically tell you it's like a bunch of clones. It's crazy. Like, I wish I could GoPro or like drone into Alabama Rush and just like live stream. Everyone pretty much looks very similar. I have, a, I have a loaded question to follow up on that. Do certain houses pick certain types of members like based on hair color or body type or? No, I never thought that. I never thought that. Body type? I don't know. Very questionable. 
very unfortunate. I would like to think that my chapter didn't, but I think any woman would like to think their chapter didn't. Again, things might be different now. I will tell you that the year I rushed was one of the first years that Alabama sororities were integrated. That's right. Because it didn't happen until like the early like 2010s, right? Like it was like 2012, I want to say. Do you feel like that was, appa- that was apparent in the recruitment process? Like, I don't know how to frame this question. I know. Like different houses choosing based on ethnicity? Or do you feel like once it was integrated, I mean, you don't have experience from before it was, so you can't really speak to that. You only have your own experience. But did it feel like there was a quality within the rush process? I think now they focus a lot more on diversity, equity, inclusion. In doing some research before this, was bummed to see that it was a very small fraction again of that Greek chic. Like that, that really is your PNM's like manual of what to expect and how to do the rush process. If you knew nothing and you had that one document, like you'd be pretty good to go. That's kind of how I went through it. So it's it's very like it's a super small section. But I know certain houses or certain chapters. I don't know if that's baked into their quota now. I would hopefully like to see that. I don't know. I think as a PNM you're so caught up in what's going on in your own world. Unfortunately, you're not really worried about are these chapters recruiting ethically for diversity and inclusion. Um, Unless you are a person of color, I'm sure you see it very differently. I totally agree with you. And you see it a lot more, at least I did, on the recruitment side than you do as a PNM, I think. And as a ROCHI, there's, I mean, there's also a J board, judicial board. So I, I think that it's everyone's responsibility I personally feel like it's everyone's responsibility to um, uphold diversity, equity, and inclusion. But at that time, it felt like, okay, if there if there are violations of those certain rules and so forth and, and ethics violations, that they would be handled appropriately. Whether they were or not, I don't know. Perfect. Okay. So the other question I have, and Michaela, if you have anything, obviously jump in. What does the voting system look like? What is the algorithm? How does that all play? If you can talk about any of that. I can only talk about what I thought I, like what I think I saw, like what I think I know. It's a little half-baked because I don't think anyone, unless you're literally the person who wrote it or the like panhellenic directors at the university could really tell you what goes into the math equation but I mean it's essentially like it's all computerized right so the voting process when you're a PNM you are going in and you're ranking houses and they're ranking you the the computer basically spits out a schedule for the next day PNMs go to parties you know I'm assuming that listeners know kind of like the general rush process but I it's interesting because as a rogue high sometimes girls would have to miss the voting or certain circumstances would would come up and a rogue high would either have to go in and help them vote or submit things for people and it was just wild to see what that looked like again for P&Ms and the houses that they would get back then the next day and everything is computerized. So we don't know exactly what the algorithm looks like, but it's a process that takes into account the PNM's preferences and the 
chapter's preferences. I personally feel like there could be some room for error there. Like, I don't know, maybe it's perfect, but crazy to me that like you submit something and it goes into the ether and then everyone's like magically placed at a house the next day. I got, Michaela knows this. I don't, Sammy, I don't know if you know this. I got dropped from recruitment freshman year and it was all because of the algorithm and the matching process because the way that they did matching when I was in college I had to list a certain chap or a certain house as my number one and they had to list me as their number one for some reason like I got completely kicked because I had listed I'm just gonna say it I listed Kappa as number one (laughs) and then a different sorority as a number two which ironically is the one I'm in and I love it very, very much. Uh, but I got kicked out of that of number two's process for some reason. And now that I'm a recruitment advisor, I see it and I've like talked to everyone and they're like, this was an error. This should have never happened. Like you would have been put on a list and blah, blah, blah. And I think back, I'm like, I wonder how many people this happens to. Yeah. Well, I always think about, and Michaela, I'm curious for your perspective too, I'm always thinking, like, had I known, and like, again, no regrets, overall, such positive feelings about my time, my time in a sorority, but like, had I known what I know now about like, okay, so if there is an algorithm, and you're right, like, if I put number one as this, and they put me as number one, I'm gonna get, I know that the house that my mom was in, I was putting high on my rank. I could have gotten that ba- that house back regardless of if I put it number one or number 13. I don't want this to be like advice to PMs to like game the system. If you like knew how it worked, you could really like maximize your options if you would. And sometimes, and I, I was thinking about that as a okay. I was like, and but then I'm like, you know what? Everything's supposed to happen the way it's supposed to happen. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. And it doesn't work like that at all schools, just to be clear. So the reason totally. I was putting Kappa as number one, it wasn't because they felt like the right house for me. It was because my mom was a Kappa and I saw her grow up with all of her sorority sisters and like they're all my aunts and I go on vacation and all those things. And so I was putting that. But at our school, legacy doesn't mat- like doesn't have that much of an impact. I don't know. What about Arizona. Arizona, at least when I was in school, and I feel like a legacy thing has kind of changed across the board for like a lot of schools and a lot of like uh, sororities in general. But if you were a legacy, you were guaranteed through the first, I want to say two rounds. And then after that, you were, it was kind of like up to you. But for the most part, we never dropped legacies unless there was like a standards concern or they really just, you could tell they didn't want to be here. Otherwise, it was like that unspoken rewards, like you bring the legacy to midday. Right. And that was the same at Alabama. And I genuinely liked the house that my mom was in, but I liked other houses better. And so if I was, I guess all of this to say, if I was trying to guarantee myself a bid, I would have thought about my voting differently. Not that I was a shoe in but I had that house for... A long time throughout the recruitment process and made a lot of really good connections there so yeah the voting thing is wild a couple other like little baby asides on this is like you can't take your name tag home off of 
the Mm-mm. story wrote like everybody like is that true at other schools like is that a we, thing we had we had the same rule I, granted we didn't I, I went to arizona state so they didn't have like greek row or like that was taken away in the early 2000s but you would have to give your name tags back to your rokai at the end of every day why and they would i don't know they would hang on to them i don't know what there was no rhyme or reason that i could ever think of but you had to give back your name tags and then the next morning when you would go to get your list and it was time for you to like start your parties, you would get your name tag back. On the Rokai side, we would take all the name tags at the end of the day. This is actually funny. So my senior year, there was like, I don't even think anybody besides a few select people would even know this story, but a bunch of name tags went missing. But basically what happens to the name tags your schedule is on the back side of the name tag and the Rokai would like get all of the next day's updated name tags, stuff them in the stuff them in there. It's like in like a folio or whatever, like a little plastic thing. I predict it's because they didn't want PMs like sharing their schedules and like it can make a girl really feel bad if she has one house and her roommate has 13, you know, on any given round or whatever. But the other part of it was that we were like the Rokai's were using the name tags to like organize people and make sure that the rush process was continuing efficiently. I don't, I don't know if there were a lot of sketchy reasons or like juicy reasons to collect the name tags, but that is like number one rule as a PNM. You do not walk off of the premises with your name tag. I always wonder what it was like to go to a school with Greek row. Cause I didn't have Greek row either we barely had houses <laughs> whereas Arizona definitely did having now advised like for the two chapters I advised for and then being an alum of like from Arizona State the chapter sizes they're some of them are big like I graduated and I think our like chapter size was like 180 but I know at Bama it's pretty standard you could have up to like 400 members do you really know everybody or do you kind of like get that small group and that's like who you kind of know all four years or however long you're in the chapter for? Because I cannot imagine knowing all 400 people by name. And how does exec work? Like there's probably so many exec positions just to keep the wheels running. Yeah, I think there are more now. Part of it and like it's actually interesting. I kind of forgot about the concept of quotas. And I like saw that I was literally rereading this I'll have to send it to you guys. This Greek chic. So fascinating. I would to love me. I'm gonna I no, we're gonna it. post the Greek chic in the show notes because I am dying to read it. <laughs> yeah. It's like a glimpse into Bama Rush and it's everything that you would ever need to know, all your key terms, everything. So those of you who don't know, like in Christine and Michaela, I'm sure you know like chapters have a quota, just like a sales quota, like a girl quota, right? And it's like how many new members they can take. Usually it's also dictated by like the needs of the chapter, right? Alabama Rush always usually hits quota right off the bat. There are not that many situations of like snap bids. They do continuous open bidding, COB processes in the spring. Again, for uh, newer listeners or whomever, like that's for girl, like it's inevitable that girls are going to get a bid to a house and then decide maybe they can't afford it, which sounds like we'll talk about, you know, finances and whatnot later on, or they didn't like it or 
they transfer, like some anything can happen, right? And so that, that, that opens up a spot. To your question about like, do you know everyone? No. Like when I got my bid, I'm just like gonna have to say it, which is totally fine. Like I love my chat. When I got my bid to Theta, like you like sit in a room and then you're like shoved on a retreat with like a bunch of girls that you don't know, right? Uh, on, on bid day. And it's wild and there's so many new friends and you're like, I'm going to be friends with you. And then like by senior year, you're like, I don't even think that girl is in this house anymore. The short answer is no, you don't know everybody. But through Big Little, you know, I'm sure you guys did the like you have a bid day big and then like before initiation, you have different Big Little opportunities and so forth to kind of get to know people. There are a million parties and game days and whatnot where you can get to know people. So by the time I graduated, I think our pledge class was probably like 65 girls. And we started at maybe 120. I'm not good at math, but 50%, right? I mean, that's a pretty hefty drop rate. That's from like bid to graduation. That doesn't include people who like went... I almost said went on sabbatical. My like corporate brain is taking over. Um, went on like study abroad. You said something in that about finances. So I do want to talk about finances. So when I was doing research about this, dues range from 7,400 to 9,400, which is based on the Alabama Panhellenic Council. And this can include room, chapter meal plan, local chapter fees, and national international fees. Is that accurate again i hate to keep bringing up this greek chic thing but it really is like so helpful and like calmed my nerves as a pnm and my parents because i'll be honest that i was very fortunate my parents helped me out with sorority dues at least my freshman and sophomore year i believe those ranges are true that you just gave for live in members Mm -hmm. when you factor in rent in an apartment and like all of your meals like yeah i mean it's pricey up front my chapter offered payment plans which i was really appreciative of as well as scholarships and i think that's probably true of most chapters that's accurate for live in and then live out i think was like maybe a little less than half that i pledged a house that was considered affordable one of the reasons being is we didn't have a new house but I think a lot of the cost comes from I mean they're building like 11 million dollar houses at Alabama and they're gorgeous I don't know it's a big pill to swallow for a lot of people but if you can kind of break it up it might make sense or not I think no I think it does it's just a big number when you first look at it you're like holy crap, that's a lot of money. But if you factor into account housing and meal plans and all of those things, yes, it's a lot of money, but it's not as alarming as when you just think, oh my gosh, that's only for dues. For me personally, and for my parents as well, like going to school out of state, like they, we were all comfortable with the dues because my parents were never worried if I was... Also, your, your, sorry, before I get into this, your student meal plan drops down at Alabama, at least when you're in a house. So what you're paying to the sorority, you're not paying to the university for a meal plan. And I think Alabama might be a little bit unique, or maybe they're all doing this now, where 
it's basically just like an un- if you're a freshman, it's an unlimited meal plan when you're off campus as like a sophomore and whatnot. You're kind of on your own. But like my parents sending me so far away for school were like comforted by the fact that I was going to get three square meals a day and it was in one place and my friends were around. And like I'm very, very fortunate to have had that. So there were there was like value out of it outside of just like eating and living. Well, that brings up another really good point that Michaela and I talk about where a lot of people say, a lot of haters of sorority say that you are buying your friends. Basically, that's what a sorority is. You're just paying money to have friends. I want to know what you guys both think about that because we've all been in a sorority. Michaela and I are both advisors, so I eat, sleep, and breathe sororities now, which never thought I'd say those words, yet here we are. Mm-hmm. Here, here, <laughs> here, we are. here we are. So, Michaela, do you want to go first and then Sammy will come to you? Yeah, I feel like it's just weird because it's like, in a sense, yes you are paying money and you're gaining friends from it. But I wouldn't say you're like paying money to force these people to be friends with you. It's kind of through the different events and just getting to know people. Like there are people that I'm still friends with that I met through people in my sorority that I no longer talk to, but I'm still friends with the friends from them. And so like you could say, oh, well, you wouldn't have gotten that if you weren't paying to be in a sorority but I'm not like paying them to like hang out with me. We're hanging out because like we want to be friends. So I wouldn't say you're like paying for your friends, but it's like an added bonus. Like you meet so many people in so many different ways. And then alumni networks, like once you graduate, if you move, that's a new way to meet new people. So I feel like it's a benefit that you meet people and you get to make friends, but you're not like paying them to be your friend. That's fair. Sammy? Yeah, I mean, I think that stigma is sad. Um, I wrote in the notes that, like, I that was sad even when I was going through recruitment. I was like, that feels not the reason. And, again, Christine, I think you and I share, and, Michaela, I'm not sure if your mom was in a sorority too, but, like, we've seen what a positive impact sororities have made for our mothers and their friends. And so I never really believed that rumor that was hard for me to wrap my head around but bringing this back to the rush dock like I do think that they did a good job of showing actives with their friends kind of a little bit of perspective on this what I learned as a Sigma Rho Chi was that even some girls who were dropped from this recruitment process entirely they were still longing for friendship and appreciating the process for what it was and they had made friends in their rush groups and so they would still come back and sit under our tent in the Alabama heat I mean if, if you're dropped from recruitment early you really don't have anything to do the rogue highs make a very conscious effort at Alabama to get them involved to bring them to events that are happening in the evening go get ice cream bring them into the fold. So I really did appreciate that about the consciousness of and feelings behind the Alabama rush process. But no, I don't think you're paying for your friends. I think friends are going to happen naturally, whether they be 
you know, ones that you meet, sororities are a business at the end of the day. And so if you can like think about that, do like you're paying just like you do for a new car. And I guess that could be said about any club that you join, because any club you're going to join moreover has dues, even if it's Mm -hmm. an 18th of the price of being in a sorority. Let's say you're in the psychology club or the environment club or whatever it's called, whatever they have. I'm like trying to think of clubs that I was in in college. Oh, wait, I wasn't. (laughs) I mean, then like professional societies as an adult, like you want to join a country club, you're going to be asked for dues. Like you, you know, it's just, and that was across campus. I don't think that sororities are siloed in the financial aspect because any other club is going to ask you for your support financially. There's like the sororities as adults. What is it called? Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Junior league. Do you guys know what I'm talking Mm. about? Junior league. I sure do. I was not a part of it, but I know many people who were. Yeah. One of our old chapter advisors was a part of Junior League, and I was always like, what do you do? Like, is this just a sorority for an adult? I guess it is. Anyways, that's a tangent we don't need to get into. That could be an entirely different episode about women's societies, (laughs) women's clubs, yada, yada, yada. Back to buying friends and the money it costs. You are putting in such a significant amount of time of effort, of monetary funds. Do you think it was worth it? Sure. I mean, I can't speak highly enough. I think of like all four years looking back, like it was such a great experience. A part of me is almost enjoying like the post sorority life of it because now serving as an advisor and like slowly transitioning into a different role, like within our sorority still, it is so cool to be on like this other side of being able to help collegians and like still feel that like connection and bond, but be in like my professional life doing other things, like not being in college, but still having like that part of me there. It's really great. And I don't regret a single thing. I highly encourage everybody to at least give it a try. I am so for like everyone at least looking into Greek life. So no, I don't regret it. Sammy. Yeah, I agree. No regrets overall. I think it, um, it, three like main things, topics, whatever you want to call it, like stand out for me and why it was like worth the money, right? It's the immediate acceptance and immediate friends. Like as soon as you get your bid, especially at Alabama coming from out of state, you're in the hard parts over the fun part starts. At least that's what you think when you're 18, right? But the long-term friendships totally would make it worth it. So that's like one one bucket. And then it's also like the the learning, the work ethic, the skills, and the service. Like you're there as a sorority woman to give back, right? Like you party a lot and... You make the grades and you do that, but a lot of it is philanthropy. I mean, there's two full days of Alabama Rush that are devoted to philanthropy. And you both know so well that commitment to service is a huge part of being in a sorority. So I think you learn things, you learn how to give back, you learn about service for the greater good. And that was really important to me. Um, And I learned that it was more important to me later on 
and having having those experiences regarding service. And then the third bucket, probably the most important that you might not be able to put like a monetary, like a qu- you can't quantify this right away in your sorority experience, but the ups and downs of life, you learn how to navigate in a relatively like controlled environment, right? You learn how to deal with rejection. You learn how to deal with differing personalities. You might have a roommate situation. There's so many, many episodes of life's biggest challenges that are unique, maybe not just to a sorority, but any like club, society, group gathering that make it worth it. And it was hard at the time, but their life lessons And for those three reasons, I really value my time. And I also agree that it's so fun to look back on. It's so crazy, but very Um, much worth it. I don't know where we go from there. It's like, we should just end it right there. (laughs) But there's there's the burning question that I think everybody always wants to ask. And I think you know what I'm going to ask because you know Alabama and you know Bama Rush, you just... I have to ask about the machine. Are you allowed to talk about it? What is the machine? Like somebody explain it to me, please, because nobody will. (laughs) I'm glad we saved this for last and I don't want to disappoint you. I feel like I'm about to be Um, very disappointed. You probably will be. So the question was like, does the machine exist? And the answer is yes. If it didn't exist, then they wouldn't have talked about it in the documentary. Then they wouldn't have gone deep on history. You can read about it. It's been written about. From personal experience, my chapter wasn't a machine chaptered house. I don't Wait, feel... whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean wasn't a machine chapter house? What does that mean? There were chapters of sororities and fraternities that were part of the machine. And I think they do touch on this a little bit in the documentary. So, and again, it's been what, six, eight years since I've been in Alabama. So if you're a chapter, if your chapter is in the machine, they have representatives that they, that serve in sort of this society, we'll call it, or in the machine as reps for your chapter, right? And they're basically like messengers. They're bringing, they're going to machine meetings bringing back information and so forth. And my chapter didn't, like, we were not a part of it. We were not affiliated. We didn't have machine reps. We were not invited to it. I don't know if it's an invitation process. Like, I don't remember, frankly. The chapters that were in it don't talk about it. It's pretty so it's like sp- <laughs> Yes, fully. What I mean by that is, like, I don't fully feel qualified to speak on it because I wasn't in a house that was directly impacted. However, I would say we were sort of indirectly impacted. And I think it sort of came out the most when there were two scenarios where my chapter, I guess, was impacted by the machine. During homecoming, we put up a very qualified homecoming queen candidate. Crazy to think that homecoming queens are controlled by a specific secret society, but they are. Usually the the machine candidate gets all the votes and they win. So we put put out a put up, excuse me, a very qualified, wonderful, beautiful woman and she didn't win, but she kind of knew she wasn't going to win and it's just 
part of the the process. Um, and then SGA student government elections are very much controlled by the machine. There have been certain candidates. The the thing is, is like if the student population overall at Alabama voted in elections like homecoming queen and like SGA, the machine candidates wouldn't win every time because of numbers. All this to say, it's a very loaded topic. All that has just been said is like pretty common sense. It's just like they're a voting block. I'm sure there are other nuances. What, what, what makes the machine controversial is in the past, they have used certain tactics to scare other candidates or you know, use violence, use, use scare tactics, basically, to just get their way, if you will. I was proud of my chapter at the time. I thought it set us apart. I think there were opportunities that maybe we missed out on. We didn't have as many members on SGA, or we did that, that homecoming candidate didn't win despite being fully qualified and, you know, super awesome person. But it's a really interesting topic. I know that there are there have to be other secret societies at other universities. I wouldn't think that it's a whole lot different. I was thinking about that because I was like, okay, so if it exists at Bama, like it has to exist elsewhere, but nobody ever talks about it. And I feel like something like that has that much power over a campus would get talked about more. Like even if it's supposed to be like super top secret, like clearly the machine was supposed to be this big secret but it was mentioned in the documentary like people know about it so i would you would think that if other campuses had it people would hear about it i also heard i guess i don't know how true it is i know nothing about the machine like i but it's like from what i remember reading and what i think i saw on a tiktok which obviously like can't trust your source there all the time is that like the machine spreads further than just like college elections and like has their hand in so many different buckets outside of just the university of alabama right so again i feel like wouldn't more people know about this if it was happening like elsewhere too i mean think about how a political candidate rises to power right so and i'm using very simple examples here but like you start out and you win sga presidency at the university of alabama the largest right, public institution in the state. And you won because everybody voted for you and whether they knew you or not. And then you have that on your resume and you go and you want to pursue a career in politics and you're going about your local election and everybody who stayed in your small town knows you and they know that you were the SGA president and you got all these great things. And then, okay, you win the local election. And then, so I think it's just like snowballs. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's how I would assume it happens. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's probably a lot of whether they're ethical or not, like the same tactics happen in local governments everywhere. That's my mini take on the machine. I just hope everybody stays safe and does things the right way. Don't we all? Yikes. Let's just hope everybody yeah. stays safe and does things the right way. <laughs> the and- right way. <laughs> Does ethical things and, you know. So what I'm hearing is I should cancel my flight to Bama with a sign that says, talk to me about the machine. Maybe not my best idea. <laughs> you might need a bodyguard for that, Loki. <laughs> yeah, you might not. You might not be met with Southern <laughs> hospitality. 
Or you might be wouldn't speak to you. You might get the bless your heart. (laughs) (laughs) Which I did love on the documentary. I think that popped up and I was like, wait, that's really funny. The last thing I'll say about the documentary is like, dang. Yes, we were Bama boozled, but like alopecia is a real thing and i'm totally. pretty sure it deserved its own like documentary moment I'm, to talk about i'm pretty sure that there was a woman in my chapter who had alopecia they really could have done more homework here i also that's, really feel not- she negated her own illness but she negated it by comparing it to a sorority like i don't know how those two equate each other i don't know i feel i can't fully speak on that because i don't yeah, I was only uh, in a sorority. I don't have alopecia. Same. But. I was only in a sorority. I also don't have alopecia, but I know people who do, and I don't know how they would feel about it being minimized to being compared to a sorority. But I would have to have someone with alopecia come on here to talk about that. I don't want to speculate. I don't want to stipulate or think, put words in their mouth, because I don't know I, what it's like to live in that body and live, um, live in those shoes. So... Anyways, bringing us back on my little tangent there. Any last words on Bama Rush being in a sorority? Michaela, do you have anything? Sammy, do you have anything? Let's wrap us up. I have one last question, and it might be like a somewhat loaded question. I probably should have asked it before I went on my speech about the machine. But (laughs) with Bama Rush being what it is today, and like with social media being in such a new space, and it's the thing like everyone's on tiktok talking about their experiences going through recruitment sororities are now using like social media at such a higher level than i feel like they were when i was in college and before i even went to college if you had the chance to like go back in time and go through recruitment again would you want it in like the 2013 to 2016 era where like social media was new but not at like the platform it is now or would you want to go through it now where like everything is on social media that is such a good question quick rewind for a second in 2013 we had gik yak did that exist at your schools okay oh, yeah so for folks who are young millennials gik yak let we could probably again spend another hour on the problematic nature of gik yak but funny that's what was going on and we were like our Rokai's were like, don't go on Yik Yak. Like, don't believe the rumors. And again, back to this freaking Greek chic, it says like, don't believe the rumors. Don't believe what you see on social media. Now it is so in your face. Like it's in everybody's face. People who didn't ask for Bama Rush have Bama Rush talk. To answer your question, I would take 2013 version because I got to laugh I got to have my blinders on and meet incredible women. I wasn't carrying 20 pounds of supplies in my rush bag. I wasn't pressured to buy the latest Golden Goose sneakers because I felt like that was what was needed. And this is no judgment whatsoever. Like if that's your thing, that's your thing. I know myself at age 18 and I wouldn't have been able to handle it. Like, I could barely handle it, like, as is. I was like, you need letters of recommendation and a headshot? Are you kidding? That's just the way that things are done down there. And, like, that's 
that is fine too. For me personally, I don't think I could have handled it. We're eating it up. And I think the women who are going through recruitment are so strong. They will look back and probably realize it might have been a little silly. Like I personally think it's a little silly right now. They're doing their best and they're doing what they're told and what other people are doing. And a lot of them, I commend them, are doing it in a unique and like trying to stand out. Good on them. My advice, if anyone, if any PMs are listening or like anybody who cares, Maybe you have a daughter who's going to go through it. You don't need all that to like find your place. Your Rokai has every version of Advil that you could need and a fan. It's not that hot. You will survive. Everybody finds their home, whether it's in a sorority or not. Social media has made it really big, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Mic drop. I know that was great. <laughs> that was great. I think that's the, Thank you. the final thought is... It doesn't have to be as hard as people make it. It's become so commercialized and there's so much money being profited off of not just recruitment in general, but Bama Rush, period. All the TikToks, some of those girls are making thousands and thousands of dollars for one TikTok to promote a mascara or an eyeliner, a facial product. This gum is going in my rush bag. So to to wrap us up, to end us out, I think the one thing, if you don't, if you made it this far, if you are possibly wanting to get into a sorority, if you're a young person and you want to go through recruitment, nothing bad is going to happen if you try and go through recruitment. You might get rejected. That is probably one of the worst things that will happen. And we say this all the time, all the time on this podcast, rejection is redirection. If you don't end up in the house that you thought you wanted, it was meant to be. If you don't end up in any house, it was meant to be. You just got to do it. You got to try Put yourself out there and have fun. That's roll it. Roll tide. And roll tide, baby. <laughs> <laughs> roll tide. Roll. roll tide. Sammy and Michaela, I want to thank you both so much for coming on this bonus episode of Christina in the Valley. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you, and I hope to talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Bye. And that's a wrap on another captivating episode of Christina in the Valley. Thank you again to Sammy and to Michaela for making the time to hang out and chat with us today. We hope you've enjoyed this deep dive into the world of Southern sisterhood and all the intricacies that come with it. If you're about to embark on your own sorority recruitment journey, we wish you all the luck and courage in the world. As always, if you love this episode, please be sure to like follow and subscribe so you never miss another one. This was such an exciting season and this is the last episode of season one. You can find clips, you can find unreleased episodes all on my YouTube channel at Christina in the Valley. Please be sure to share with your friends, follow me on Instagram, follow me on TikTok, send me a comment about what you want to hear for the next season and I cannot wait to see you soon.